As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Today's episode of the VanCast is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, ten, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more, all in one place. Over 19,000 companies trust NetSuite, the world's number one cloud business system. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash listen. That's netsuite.com slash listen. It wasn't really easy leaving our small hometown and moving to a big city halfway around the world. But what a city we came to. There were certainly tough times in those first few years. Expectations were high from the outside, but more so from ourselves. And we felt like we didn't live up to them. It obviously helped going through this having your brother by your side. But it would not have been possible without the amazing support from teammates and coaches. To the people of Vancouver and British Columbia. We came here in 1999, and it felt like home from day one. We want to thank you for how you cheated us and our families. To play in front of you has truly been an honor, and nothing we've ever taken for granted. To the best fans in the league, we will now join you in cheering for this team when they go for the Stanley Cup. A new VanCast for you in the wake of a night that we hoped was going to be everything to the Vancouver Canuck organization and Drancer. I think it was, and then some as this franchise absolutely knocked it out of the park in terms of the pregame ceremony for Daniel and Henrik Sedin. There were some surprises. Uh, there were some great emotional moments. There was terrific humor, and there was insane goaltending on top of that uh, once the hockey game got underway. 
pretty good night for the Swedes in this building. Uh, unbelievable. And I think the humor part is kind of what I want to dwell on just momentarily because I've watched a bunch of these. I, I've helped put together not a num jersey retirement, although, I, I mean, the Panthers, while I was there, did retire an owner's number, the, the founder of the franchise. But the way that this was done was so funny relative to the way your average jersey retirement ceremony is. You know, usually if you have a funny moment during a pregame ceremony, it's because a kid does something cute. And this had John Shorthouse playing off the booze of the crowd for the NHL by making reference to his, you know, ubiquitous commercial with the, uh, uh, this coffee is great, right? I, I thought that was fantastic. Kevin Bieksa did a phenomenal job roasting. And, you know, even the Sedins got in on the act uh, amidst their classy list of acknowledgments. It's like they acknowledged everyone. It's like, did you guys do anything? You know, <laughs> of course they were, of co you know, did the most, but uh, the humility is just so genuine from them and, and so overflowing that they had, you know, 55 people on the, on the ice, which is of course, 22 plus 33, just for you, JPAT. The <laughs> fact is though, is when you think about this market and the way we cover this team, and the way we, you know, even the couple podcast, or sorry, a couple Vancast episodes ago, where we sort of broke down in humorous terms the act of questioning Travis Green and the way the market reacts to that, you know, you go from crisis goatees to Kesslurking to, you know, uh, champagne problems to the way that Shorty and Garrett break down, you know, what ketchup goes on on the broadcast. Like this market requires some humor. And I think this organization hit that out of the park in a ceremony that I could have watched for double the length that it ran tonight, just because of how amusing and dramatic. And there were these moments of truth with people being introduced individually. I mean, I found that completely riveting. And based on the reaction to the Twitter feed, in the press box, to you know the fans that I engage with in the digital space anyway, I think that was a pretty common takeaway. This was a night for the Sedins. It wasn't a night for me at all, but selfishly, like their careers in Vancouver and mine have sort of been in lockstep. Like I moved back to Vancouver, born and raised in Vancouver, but moved to Kamloops for work, moved back in 99. I was in Boston the day they were drafted right. and have seen essentially every game that they have played uh, or did play as members of the Vancouver Canucks. And so... You know, these guys do hold a special place in my heart. We're not supposed to have favorites in this job, but, uh, like, all the stuff that you heard about them is just so damn true that you can't help but feel for these guys. And uh, so the ceremony was amazing. You know, you want these things to go off without a hitch. Uh, you know, the jaded, cynical media guys, sure, we'd love a story, but I wanted this thing to go off perfectly, and I, I think it did. And, you know, whoever had the foresight to give BX a free reign at the microphone was, you know, the star of the show, ultimately. But you're right. The moments of Ryan Kessler and, man, there was a lot of talk in the market the last couple of days about the reaction. We now know the answer. And that was one of the great moments. Mike Gillis, again, massive roars. I'd love to know who was in charge of the seating plan, 
uh, for the guests of honor because that was fascinating to me too. There were some games of keep away that had to be played uh, down at ice level. But for me, the moment of the night came before the ceremony. You know, I always do a pregame radio hit from the Norm Jewison media room down just outside the visitor's locker room. And so to get there, you got to go the long way in the bowels of Rogers Arena. And tonight, as I made my way uh, to the media room, I passed the staging area where all of these guests of honor were waiting around. And it was just so damn trippy. Like, I covered all of these guys. And I, I don't get starstruck, but, like, just to see them all back together in that moment as I sort of rounded the corner and walked, like, headlong into it, like, it, for me, it was an absolute moment. It was just like, damn, like, there's Luongo, and there's Matias Olin, and, you know, there were a bunch of, like, we saw the guys that were on the ice uh, for the ceremony, but, you know, Brendan Morrison was down there, and Mason Raymond, and there were too many to have, you know, everybody, a little game of musical chairs. There weren't enough chairs to go around, um, but it just, it was just so much fun. Uh, it brought me right back to 2011, and... That team didn't win the Stanley Cup, but you were reminded watching the component parts of just how damn good that hockey team was and the roars in this building and that feeling again. For me, that was sort of the grand takeaway of the night was it transported me right back to 2011 when hockey mattered in this city. Yeah, and I, you're right. The, whoever did that seating chart, that's the funniest subplot. I wish we could find that. Like, that would be the perfect athletic article uh, ever. But whoever it was, they obviously had me in mind because Yannick Hansen on the dais is just the best. Like, that was clearly a hat tip to your boy. No, I, look, the – I mean, I thought the biggest moment in terms of – big picture takeaways outside the twins right from the moments of truth was the linden reaction like i thought he got a muted reaction on monday right nasland and, and we talked about it after that game nasland was sort of the big star but and, and i wonder if it was because the aquilinis were on the stage if this market you know in part was motivated to give trevor a little bit more applause and and i don't know if maybe it's rather that absence makes the heart grow fonder or just that at the end of the day no matter what happened while he was president trevor linden remains trevor linden and this remains vancouver but i thought that was an overwhelming standing ovation and a fascinating one in terms of the you know seismic sort of look at the shifting ground underneath this franchise's feet but but ultimately i i do think you know it's, it's so funny because Henrik and Daniel allowed so many people to share in their moment that it's easy to not talk about them, even in talking about their own ceremony. And, you know, the, you know, even as I bring it back to the twins and I'm like, yeah, and let's talk about the twins. Really, the things I want to continue to go over are the way that Willie Desjardins was greeted. They thank Willie Desjardins. And it's like, there's no boo. There's no clap. It was just flat. You know, they bring up torts. Which was fitting for oh. Willie's three years as oh, the head coach of the Canucks because they were flat, too, for yeah. all of that time. Oh, man. I, I mean, I don't I can't think. It's, it was like the reaction if you'd thanked Jason Megna, right? Or Megna? 
Magna. Magna, thank you, Mr. Radio Guy. I need to pull out my pronunciation guide. Uh, the Magna, like, it was so <laughs> unreal. Like, and then and then they bring up torts, and the crowd laughed. Like, the crowd, the, I actually think, you know, I brought up all the humor around this franchise. The crowd laughed harder about torts being thanked than they did at Kevin BX's best joke. I mean, what a night. Like, but, but I really do think, at the end of the day, you could not... So, two points I want to make. One is, the Twins would have been first-line players independently of one another, but the magic is them together, right? All of those people who were on that stage are interesting in and of themselves, but together became this hodgepodge of c conflict and identity and 25 years of drama, like a generation worth of bar fights and media scrutiny. And together, that was magic, right? <laughs> they, they, and, and that's sort of one point I want to make. And the second is, as they were speaking and, and as the twins were sort of nodding to all these different people and, and as I was sort of running through, you know, how great the crowd was tonight. Truly remarkable. How amazing their reaction to things were. You know, I mean, I... People say that Canucks games can be too quiet, but <laughs> not reacting to a thanking of Willie Desjardins and laughing at a thanking of Torts, like, that's some high-end fan stuff. Like, Vancouver fans are smart and savvy, and together their reactions are amazing. But the Twins bring the best out of the... Vancouver crowd and they always did right it didn't even matter if they scored sometimes on those lengthy cycle shifts they always brought a huge reaction in the building a, a reaction that I think gave the Canucks a massive edge at home the twins also I think brought the best out of their line mates right you think about if they were playing with Cassian or, or Anson Carter a big body that guy was getting tap-ins at the net front if they were playing with Yannick Hansen they could find ways of using his speed if they were playing with Burroughs they found ways of using his craftiness and letting him dig pucks if they were playing with Samuelson or Verbata guys who just had no conscience and shot from everywhere they could work with that too and I think that ultimately the twins superpower right beyond their excellent abilities on the ice and beyond their unparalleled class off of it was that whoever they were with whether it was the organization itself the crowd in vancouver their teammates their line mates they almost are like power enhancers whatever you do best whatever's best about you the twins seem to bring the best of you whoever you are whether you're a vancast listener or anson carter on their line out of them and what a remarkable gift to have. But, but I think that was ultimately what I felt like tonight was a tribute to and sort of the main takeaway that I was chewing on as I sort of reacted to that ceremony in real time. Wasn't surprised that Bieksa was the ringmaster and he was the perfect oh, choice. And, unreal. you know, Jacob Markstrom turned out to be the first star of the hockey game that was played, but there was no question that Bieksa was the first star of the ceremony even though the ceremony was to honor Daniel and Henrik Sedin. But, I mean, Bieksa, without notes, just stood there, looked as comfortable as could possibly be, and, again, hit on all the right notes, some great stories. Uh, you know, the one thing that I did wonder, I wondered if they were going to turn the microphone over to Ryan Kessler. And I know Kessler has spoken out 
a lot here recently to you and to Coos and it's been on the radio and we've talked a little bit about that but I did wonder if he was going to get the opportunity to say something to this fan base that certainly welcomed him back and if there were boos I didn't hear them because they were drowned out by a million cheers and it, and it was a nice moment and and he talked about it after the fact uh, that you know he was touched by it and and was a little nervous and anxious coming in, and, and you can understand. But, again, this was a night for celebration, and it just it's a night that is going to live on in the memories, uh, I think, of an awful lot of Canuck fans for a long, long time. And one of the uh, sort of understated moments of the night was when Mike Gillis was introduced. People may have seen that he was wearing three pins. One was for Pavel Dimitra, one was for Luke Bourdon, and the other was for Jason Botchford, which I just thought was an amazing touch. I knew that he was going to be wearing it, and so did you, and I messaged Kat Botchford before the game and just wanted her to know, and she was remarkably touched by it as well. She hadn't heard that that was going to go down, but, you know, just to have Botch a tiny little piece of him involved in some small way and so massive props to Mike Gillis for you know taking those steps absolutely and and Gillis spoke with me about it post game you can read it in the armies but he wanted to honor people that were impactful to him personally as well as to the Canucks uh, he was grateful for the opportunity to show his respect the fact that he considered Jason among those worthy of including in this, you know, crucial, central moment in franchise history. Uh, I mean, gives me goosebumps just saying those words, to be honest with you. And, and I thought that was extraordinarily classy by Mike. And you know what? It was nice to see him get as positive a reaction as he did. He deserves it. Uh, you know, I, I thought he was on my list of people I wasn't sure about. Probably ahead of Kessler. I was less sure about Mike's reaction than I was about Ryan's. I thought Ryan was pretty safely going to get some applause. But I'm glad that the market recognizes what he accomplished here, what he contributed, and reacted appropriately. I think that was the right thing, especially considering, you know, the way that he chose to conduct himself and how he chose to pay tribute to some, you know, crucial people um, tonight. We had heard a lot about the struggles that Ryan Kessler has gone through physically, and we know that this is a guy that laid his body on the line. I have to say... You know, for a guy his age, like watching him walk, like it's a struggle just, you know, for him to get from the bench down the, the blue carpet to his seat. Like, you know, that sort of crystallized. Uh, we all know that he's having hip issues and probably will, you know, moving forward. But uh, that was almost like you think of this guy as a superhero warrior, as a professional athlete. And then, to, you know, it was it was a struggle for him just to take the steps necessary to get to his seat. Yeah, absolutely. And the no, and you know, I think that's a big reason why I went in in terms of writing about Kessler and and casting him sympathetically, I think. I mean, I I intended to cast him sympathetically. I'm not going to duck that. I think the more I chatted with him and the more I began to understand or understood how much he had struggled physically in the wake of his Canucks career. The more we spoke about that and the more that I realized that he had some ambitions in his career that were unfulfilled, 
you know, he was worried about his reaction tonight. The fan base that he sort of bled for feels like he sacrificed some of that, you know, for. Uh, the more it just became a fascinating story for me. And, and look, I'm, I'm really glad that the fan base reacted to him the way they did. And, and, you know, I think now two conversations that kind of come out of this are Kessler and the Ring of Honor, because now that he's passed the fan forgiveness test, that becomes a legitimate conversation in my mind. You know, for me, people talking about it prior to tonight were jumping the gun a little bit, at least in my opinion. And then Luongo. Luongo got a big reaction. Fans like to Lou that guy. And they should, right? Luongo is a top, I mean, other than Beret and the Twins, is there a greater Canuck in terms of the heights they hit during their Vancouver tenure than Luongo? The answer is no, straight up. And you can actually quibble with whether or not the Twins were as good as Luongo was during his tenure here. I mean, we're all losing it over Markstrom's 916, right? Luongo's in a, Luongo in a Canucks uniforms 920 plus over you know a, a longer period of time than one season and playing for a team that didn't play to his strengths right they took fourth man's ice they played they gave up rush chances Markstrom would do better behind that 2011 team in some ways because this team like that team surrenders rush chances against Luongo's so good in zone like if Anyway, I'm not going to get too much into the Kevin Woodley. I'll leave Kevin Woodley's lawn for him to mow. But, you know, Kessler, uh, Kessler, Ring of Honor, he's not top 10 in any major statistical categories, but he hit a higher level than just about any Canucks skater other than the other three that I mentioned, you know, during his Canucks tenure. Lou, Lou might have a case to have his number retired. So that sort of becomes an interesting discussion, I think, especially now that we know even though he's on the books, Vancouver fans like to see him. Again, I loved the night. I, I'm a sucker for pomp and circumstance, and I just think that the organization crushed it. But I'm half of this podcast, and we control the content. I'm going to be that guy for a moment. Yes, Indulge go, me, please. Go, of course. I loved that ownership presented a trip to the Kentucky Derby awesome. to the Twins. Yes. These guys are horse lovers. I don't know if people know. I think a lot of people know that. They're horse owners. Like, they're into the horse racing game. That seemed so on point. And the Derby's a great time. That's true. You've Let worn the hat. I've oh, seen the pictures. Beautiful. All right, this is me being that guy. The teammates came up with a trip anywhere the Twins want to go. <laughs> These guys can afford any trip to anywhere they want to go on their own. It felt like the night before. It felt like December 24th, and you hadn't quite found a gift for the person. On, there was somebody left on your list that you had to buy for. I'm going to get you a gift. Here's a gift card. They essentially gave the Sedins gift cards. Is what they. <laughs> These guys that are the two greatest players in franchise history for two decades. Uh, here are a couple of gift cards. Tell us where you want to go. We'll we'll pick up the freight. That just seems so underwhelming. That was the underwhelming moment of the night. What they should have done is paid for the PJ to the Kentucky Derby. Because that's the way to travel to the Derby, let me tell you. As someone with experience in a, no A, knowing what a PJ is, and B, actually taking one to the Derby. Yeah, we'll fill the people, the 98% of the world that doesn't use the term PJ. It's, it's, it's hockey player parlance for private jet. <laughs> I'm, I'm the worst. Excuse me.
<laughs> yeah, well, no, you are the worst because you were one of these people that through this night insisted on just drawing Sadine numerology <laughs> through all these tweets, and it was just driving me nuts. I was, I was losing it as this game, like any time anything happened, people were trying to make the math work so that these equations would come out to 22 or 33. Not everything, not, in fact, very little <laughs> needed to be Sadine numerology on the night, but you were part of this group oh, that was been pushing worst. this. Well, in fairness, I was doing it kind of as a joke, but... Oh, it was a joke, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing it kind of as a joke, but I will say, post-game, post-game, I had some people in my mentions who were, who were noting, and I know you've got a final ahead of you, so please turn over to the other page to the actual game summary. Who were noting that the the Canucks won 33 face-offs. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, I was kind of kidding. I was kind of not. I was hoping, like, you know, Bo Horvat scored a goal on the 22nd shot, right? It was at 15:33. If it had been at 14:33, that would have been really cool. It just didn't it. No. Yes, that would no. have been cool. The numerology ended the night of the, the home finale. That was cool. I had time for it then. But it's three almost two years. It's three twenty-two. What's three mean? Bieksa, Daniel Sedin? No, it's people again. People were just like grasping at these fucking straws for anything that was <laughs> like we should have been recording this podcast at you know ten thirty-three p.m. Well, why don't we make it exactly thirty-three minutes and twenty-two seconds? Indulge me. Yeah, but if it had been 10.33 that on the 24-hour clock... 22.33 into the podcast just happened. <laughs> As you were talking about that. It's a sign! Isn't that crazy? Yeah, well, that, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm going to go back and edit that part out so that as people time it... <laughs> what's Dran's talking about? He's way off. <laughs> All right. Okay, so numerology, you didn't like. Jacob Markstrom, you had to like. Yeah. No, and it's funny. You, you talk about uh, a 9, what is it, 916? Is that the... An updated number or something. Whatever. It feels like he's riding a 975 he these days. He might as well be, right? Like, I mean, he's been unbelievable. And that's why, you know, he was 914 going into tonight. Did 50 saves up his save percentage a couple points? I wouldn't be stunned by that, right? I, I'm kind of just guessing, though. I haven't looked at the actual updated number. But look... Considering how, considering the rush chances this team surrendered tonight, these were not 50 shots. There, there were point blank shots on Patrick, point blank saves on Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. There's at least two or three a game that he's making that drop my jaw. This is as good a performance as I've seen from a Canucks goaltender in 12 years. That includes Pete Luongo, Markstrom is crushing it. I guess I understood, too. Like, this wasn't a night for anybody in the organization to be, you know, crapping on the way that they ultimately played, right? No. Like, it was a win that capped off one of the great nights in franchise history. But I think in the light of day, like, they do... Like, I find too many guys in that locker room, and quite frankly, the head coach, too, you know, you hear this, 
oh, the Blackhawk, insert team here, insert opponent here. You know, they throw pucks to the net from all... Like, no, like, that's, that's like, trying to sweep this thing under the rug. Like, you mentioned, for me, the money save on the night was Patrick Kane. Oh. Five minutes into the second period, it's Stunning. a one nothing game. Yeah. The best player, one of the best players in the league over the last decade has the tying goal on his stick. I mean, it's Kane against Markstrom in that moment. And he had a great look, and he got a good shot away. And Jacob Markstrom stared him down, and everybody else... Uh, there was the scramble save off Doc when he was down and sort of doing the snow angel. But, you know, it was a night where he just found ways. Like He found ways yeah. to keep pucks out of the net. I didn't think it looked like he was on his game early. The first five minutes, he had a couple of blocker saves where I don't think he directed the rebound as far as he'd wanted. And I was wondering if he was quite on. You know, that said, I, I do want to say ceremonies are super disruptive to routines. And the Canucks spent 45 minutes on the bench in pretty close quarters with one another like those shots on tv because i couldn't really see it that well in building but the shots on tv looked uncomfortable to go from that to warming up 15 minutes later to playing a game 45 minutes later you know how much did we talk about the game today really none none you know we barely barely asked Travis about starting goaltender and lineups, right? I barely tweeted line rushes. I mean, that was the extent of it. This was a perfunctory game ahead of time for us. And I think it was for the, I, I mean, it can't not be. It can't not be on a week like today or a week like this and a day like today. It was all about the ceremony. It was all about taking that in. And then the Sedins call out a third of the team and the head coach and Bieksa calls out a third of the team and the head coach. I mean, there's no way you're in game headspace by the time that contest starts. And the Canucks looked that way, right? They gave up the first 13 shots of the game. And, and by that point, you're already behind the eight ball. And then they led pretty quick. And then, you know, I just don't think I take a ton of analytical value out of this game, except that this is a their defensive flaws are you know, too consistent. And at some point, you've got to help Markstrom out a bit because this was reminiscent of that Carolina shutout, I thought. And at some point, he's just not going to be able to do that consistently enough for you to win the way you need to if you're going to win the Pacific, which at this point, I think... Are, are, are we at this, that, this point in the season where it's like that's where this team's ambition should lie? I still think, in my mind... Playoffs. It's making the playoffs. Okay. I think that the way things have unfolded around them in the division, you know, I think most people thought Vegas would be better. I think a lot of people thought Calgary would be better. Oh, yeah. You know, whatever the case is, the Canucks are sitting atop the Pacific Division. I don't think they can allow that to cloud uh, their target, and that is make the playoffs. Yeah. You know, how the division shakes down beyond that. This was a team that wanted to be better. It wanted to be playing meaningful hockey. It wanted to be in the playoff conversation at the outset of the season. None of those goals should change just because some of the teams around them aren't as good as we thought they were going to be. Right. So, you know, but now I start to look and I think, like, they're 14-3 and three in their last 17 at home. They've got a goalie that I think would get in the head of just about any playoff opponent if you're thinking four out of seven, especially if they're the home team. Oh, and yeah. Get, you know, getting ahead of myself here, but 
like the more it goes, the longer it goes here. You know, like a, a week ago, they lost three in regulation, and people were starting to wonder, like, uh oh, you know, is this is this where they start to slip? You know, then they back it up with a couple of wins. Were they perfect wins? No, not by a long shot. But this team just continues to find ways to stop the bleeding. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, would you be surprised now if they made the playoffs, or would you be surprised now if they missed the playoffs? Oh, miss. And I've come around on that. Like I. I, it would the, take a remarkable the class. VanCast election desk or playoff desk. I don't oh, think yeah. I don't know if it's quite ready to declare a playoff spot yet, but the numbers are what the numbers are. The math is there. Like I think it would be pretty hard for this team to fall completely out of the mix now. Yeah, I'm definitely not calling it, but I'm at the point in election night where you're like, there's 80% reporting. <laughs> it's a 50,000 vote gap. You know, like that point where you you start to be like, just call it, just call it, ABC, just call it. I'm I'm there. That's sort of where I'm at. I'm glad that, <laughs> I was glad that you didn't use 33 percent of the precincts or or 22 percent. No, no, of the like the Canucks are gonna wake up tomorrow with, according to most models in the industry, 90 percent chance of making the playoffs. At this point, it would be a tremendous disappointment. I know the gap's not as big actu in actual points as that. Uh, you know, it's. I think they're ahead of the playoff bar by what eight points, seven points, something like that, because they're at sixty-nine, which is very nice at this point now. But you know, with all those teams chasing and and loser points and on, like it's hard to make up eight points on a team over twenty-seven games. And you know, the Canucks, it's like five teams would need to all do that. It, they'd need to blow a pretty significant flat, which, you know. Considering the quality of their top line, considering the quality of their goaltending, considering the quality of their power play, even if it hasn't been at its best over the past 20 games, you know, I, I find hard to see, especially because on the season, their five-on-five -five game has been underwhelming, but not disastrous. It's been disastrous for stretches, but it hasn't been disastrous on the whole, which I think you have to wait in evaluating what this team is as opposed to just how they've looked over 20 games. Right, and they've had this innate ability to stop losing streaks before they really reach yep. critical mass. and that's, they come home. They come home, yeah. and they've got a goaltender that absolutely is the difference maker. God, he's good. The danger, I guess, is, and we keep saying, like, workload, 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 and it's not just the games played. It's the workload within a game like this yeah, of 50 shots like one of their advantages over just about everybody else in the conference is they've got two goalies, but they just Travis Green just right now and, and Ian Clark is a big part of the decision making. You know, they do have to get Thatcher Demko some starts just to give Jacob Markstrom the occasional night off because it's not about getting to game eighty two. They're gonna need Jacob Markstrom when they get to the postseason as well and like you can't run this guy into the ground and turn him into dust and I that that is my fear as tremendous as he's been for this entire season you've got two guys there isn't that much of a drop-off when Demko gets the opportunity I think they do have to find yeah. they're gonna have to work to find some sparks some starts for Thatcher Demko just to keep Jacob Markstrom healthy and fresh and prepared to keep doing this beyond the 4th of April yeah and it's this is a fascinating question for so many reasons to me. One is Demko's now started 17, right? And 
the so 17 starts there were actually only 17 dates on the calendar when i looked at it prior to the season where it was either a back-to-back or a uh four and six right those are my sort of standards for your that's a backup start you got to start your backup at least one of those games right there were only 17. so on the one hand one would say well they've made some elective starts for demco but in fact a lot of the reason that demco has started more than I might have expected prior to the season is that Markstrom made two trips back to Sweden for family reasons. So, in fact, it's not like Markstrom's rest matches his games played, right? There's actually more stress, emotional, physical, mental, travel stress, on and on, than, you know, the games played indicate. That's one thing. On the other hand, the Canucks are entering this little weird stretch where they don't play again until Sunday. And so you can understand, certainly tonight, uh, Sadine Knight, Markstrom's their teammate, their countryman. But also, you know, and, and this is something to keep in mind, too, for Brock Besser, who I've noted, anyway, without sort of tweeting it, that Travis doesn't seem very hopeful about their, we'll evaluate in two, we'll evaluate in two, it's not, he'll be back on Sunday, we'll evaluate in two days. Uh, there's no more information than that. And I'm not reading it negatively. I'm not trying to spin it negatively so much as I'm saying it's not as if the Canucks have said, we expect him back in two days or after two games. They're saying we're going to reevaluate after two games. We'll see. But we're reaching this point where with the deadline coming, with the Michael Furlan situation, with Levo and on and on, I begin to look at days because you can go on LTI after 24 days or 10 games. Usually teams hit 10 games before you hit 24 games. But where the Canucks are in the season, you're hitting like 28 days before you hit the 10 game mark. And that's going to have some small but meaningful ramifications in terms of Vancouver's salary cap flexibility. So it's begun to be something that I pay really close attention to right now, especially vis-a-vis Besser, especially because of the... And it's just the tone that they're using when we push for... There's Travis exhaustion tone where he's just like, no, I've addressed that. And there's something else, which is what I'm sensing here. And, and look, I could be totally wrong. I'm reading between the lines. I don't have any information here beyond that. It just seems that way. Did, am I nuts? Am I off my rocker here? Well, yeah, always. But, <laughs> uh, but I will say that I was encouraged, at the very least, to see Brock Besser on the bench Absolutely. during the ceremony. Yep. They weren't trying to hide him. He didn't appear to be trying to hide any sort of visible nope. injury. He was did. in a suit, and he was there, as you would expect, a former teammate of the Twins yep. and a big part of the organization. And so, again, that's me reading between the lines, but I just thought, good for him, and yep. I took that as a positive sign. But I'm with you. You know, they've got a couple of days here before they play Anaheim. Then they play Minnesota, but then they get another break. You're right, the homestand. Like, he could miss two more games and get another week's recovery. And and that's kind of what I'm looking at, too. But also just that, like, I wouldn't bet on him playing Sunday necessarily. And that's okay. That's not going to represent a setback. I think the team is going to begin to be less forthcoming with injuries. A, they've already been very unforthcoming with injury news this season. But B... That's going to step up a notch, and that's not a problem. Like, that's on us to try and ferret it out and play the game fairly, but that's what happens as the leverage rises. 
so be it. But I, I'm just saying I don't necessarily expect him back on Sunday, and, and we'll see what news we get when the Canucks practice on Friday. Well, and they're not going to rush him back because they've got a super-powered Brandon Sutter all of a sudden who has seven points in his last eight games. You know who's got more points than Brandon Sutter on this team since the All-Star break? No one. JT Miller and Quinn Hughes, and that's it. It's a two-person list. Brandon Sutter, with a three-point night, he was in on all the goals against Chicago, has more points than Horvat and Pedersen and Jake Vertanen and, as you would say, on and on. Uh, yeah, who knows why. Uh, he scored a power play goal the other night against Nashville. That's something Brock Besser hasn't done since mid-November. So, look, Brandon Sutter is not the replacement for Brock Besser, I'm not suggesting that for a second, but but again, we it, it was a backhand pass into the net. It was. It was spectacular. <laughs> it was a on. it was a spectacular backhand pass uh. into the net. But this just speaks to you know to me. There's a formula on, on how this team gets the job done. It starts right. with Jacob Markstrom. It generally involves a power play goal. Sometimes a backhand pass into the net <laughs> and, and then a depth player spread, on an outrageous spread scoring yeah, spread absolutely scoring. if it wasn't louis erickson for a five-game run it's tanner pearson it's jake for tannin and now it's, when now he came it's, back from injury now it's brandon sutter and adam Gaudet. Well, and it was brandon sutter too in late october right when when that like sutter levo vertanen line looked actually pretty good for a minute right the uh i thought brandon sutter produced and played a poor game tonight, personally. And that's okay. I think that's going to happen for a guy who, when he first came into the lineup, was getting up and down the ice really quick. And that's not uncommon for, we saw it with Roussel too. Like guys come back in the lineup, your adrenaline's going, you're excited to be back, and then you hit a level or and plateau a bit because you were, you're, you know, for a variety of reasons, but it's also, just related to game fitness and, you know, stamina and just, like, feeling your way. And I actually think through the course of most of these games, from my perspective anyway, and, and taking nothing away from a, a veteran guy who I have all the time in the world for personally and who's obviously doing a job and, and doing it productively of late, I don't think what I'm seeing anyway matches the production on the stat sheet. And... So be it. Uh, one thing, though, I do want to note about tonight's game is it turns out Louis Erickson, not the key ingredient on the closer line. No, I saw that, that uh, he has been replaced. He seems to have lost his spot there. And Brandon Sutter from 160 <laughs> feet away finds the net. And, and no, you're right. Look, Sutter, a power play assist, a second assist on the Gaudet goal, and right. then an empty netter. I mean, that's sort of a page from the Tanner Pearson book, though, right? Like, oh, so the... he sent the pass into the high slot that was that then found Gaudet's stick. Yeah, it went Sutter Roussel. That, that was a nice pass. It was, and the whole play started with Jordy Ben stepping up with a big hit that on Kajula. Yeah, and look, they didn't play well tonight, so I'm not going to single anyone out and say they did. But that was not just a secondary assist. That was a nice pass into the slot. And there's not a lot of straight-line players. Like, Roussel's a good passer, especially off the rush. Uh, that primary Passing that puck is not a play most players with the rep that Antoine Roussel has make. So credit to him. But, uh, but look, that was, that was actually a really nice goal. And one thing, I guess, to take away from this Canucks game, if you're looking for positives, are when Vancouver opened Chicago up, it was a can opener. The only problem is... 
is that when Chicago opened Vancouver up, which was like three times more frequently, it was also a can opener. It's just that inside the can was one of those plush snakes, Jacob Markstrom, who jumped out and spooked him. And so that's my game story for you, based on novelty toys. That is some solid, solid analysis. <laughs> I could go for some peanut brittle right about now, but I don't want the damn snake jumping out of the can. So, again, an amazing night start to finish for the organization. Credit to all the people behind the scenes and, and as you well know, from working uh, for a club. I mean, it takes, a, it takes a village to put on a night like this. I am not going to let this go, though. I, I make this pledge to our listeners who demand the truth. I am going to follow through until the Sedines pick their destination of choice to cash in on those gift cards from their teammates. I want to know. I'm going to demand to find out where in the world they're going to travel. I hope it's San Diego. Right? I hope it's, it's pretty a, close. I hope it's a little further abroad than San Diego. I hope maybe they enjoy the Kentucky Derby so much that they get the twins they get their teammates to send them to the Kentucky Derby again. Or they go to the Preakness. See, like that I could yeah, get down with. You, why wouldn't you get them like they played for Sweden? The name of Sweden's national team is the Three Crowns, right? Buy them a race to all Triple Crown events. See, for now the you're thinking. That's all you have to do. Also, if, like, if you were the teammates, you know, ownership comes out and they're sort of puffing their chest out. We're sending you to the Kentucky Derby. If you're the teammates, you come off the top rope and you go Augusta, you're, or you're just sending them. You're just sending them to one of the races. We're sending them to the other ah! two. <laughs> I actually do like that. But also, like racket sports, they're into Wimbledon. You know? Yeah, you're right. Pick something specific that someone's going to look forward to. I actually agree with you. But doesn't take anything at all away from a night that I found jaw-dropping, funny, interesting. Uh, an absolute credit to the Twins. I was so impressed by the crowd here. Like, it reminded me why it's fun to be back in this market. Why I'm, you know, there's moments where I'm proud to be able to engage with fans this savvy. Because I thought the crowd just did a tremendous job. I thought the Twins brought the best out of everybody. I thought it was a really memorable night and one that I suspect this market, this hockey market, this hockey town is going to talk about for a long, long time. little bonus time here on the VanCast, but the night called for it. Yeah. So uh, a job well done to VanCast listeners and everybody else that was in attendance at Rogers Arena on the night that 22 and 33 took their rightful spots in the rafters. For Drancer, it's J-Pat. As always, thanks so much for listening to another VanCast here at The Athletic and TheAthletic.com.